Hello and welcome to Leaving Egypt. I'm Jenny Sinclair. And I'm Al Roxburgh. This podcast is for you if you want to explore the unfolding vocation of the church in these times of unraveling. We'll be doing two things, reading the signs of the times and sharing grassroots stories. We'll be having some brilliant conversations with fascinating people and we'll discover how local expressions of God's people are contributing to the reweaving of hope in our common life. We do hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaving Egypt. Our guests today are Mari and Graham McBain, calling from the northeast of England in the UK. Mari and Graham are community pastors for Hartlepool with the Northern Baptist Association. But as we'll discover, there's lots more to that description than you might imagine. Welcome, Mari and Graham. So the first thing we want to do is give our listeners a flavor of who you are. So the two of you, what's your, been your journey through life? Give us an overview of who you are. Uh, so my name is Graham and uh, Mari and I are married. We've been married for uh, many years now. And um, we are both community pastors in Hartlepool. My background is I started off in retail, um, working for department stores like John Lewis's and places like that. And in my mid-twenties, I trained to be a Baptist minister at Spurgeon's College. And uh, it was when we were when I was applying for uh, Baptist ministry that Mari and I met. Uh, and then I've been in Baptist ministry for 25 years, leading uh, in really different, varied places from small um, home mission assisted churches to being larger te- in larger teams and also a stint abroad. Yes. And for me, I um got to know Graham when we were looking at ministry and I was advised at that time to go and get more life experience. So I went off and explored uh, a career in human resources, uh, a career that I've managed to sort of keep uh, threads through many a decade in different places. Um, And it was, uh, I've also, also, of course, been alongside Graham and really enjoyed ministry together. Um, it was in 2016 I had a really strong call to explore again, um, becoming an accredited Baptist minister. And this time the door opened for me and I too went off to Spurgeon's College in South London to train. And it was during that time of formation these last years that I really uh, recognised that I wasn't being called to lead a, a flock, a lead a church, lead an established group. I really felt that God was calling me to continue my work, which has always sort of been with people on the fringe and the margins of community, and to explore a call into um, pastoring and being in ministry, not in an established church context. And it was with that that we began to explore what would our next chapter of ministry together be, both as ordained Baptist ministers. So what you've said there is very intriguing, not being called to the conventional church leader role. What did that feel like for each of you? I mean, you're both indicating there's something going on there. Can you give us a bit of a flavour of that? It's something that I think has been part of our story if we go back to sort of 1995 when we met or or 98 when um, we moved to our first church. And I guess the only way I can describe it is I've always felt drawn to the folks 
very much on the edge of church community life. Um, so our first church was in Dagenham and uh, we ended up kind of getting quite involved with um, these kids that were basically um, vandalizing the building, but we, we ended up getting to know them quite well. And then in other ministries, we've always been drawn to that. Uh, for me, when Mari started training, I was so excited about the idea of us being in ministry together. But both of us felt um, almost cold at the idea of of picking up a, a, a normal pattern of church ministry, you know, the usual program and everything. And uh, also, I think lockdown played a heavy part in that as well when it, it was a terrible time in many ways, but it was such an exciting time that all our programs stopped. We were in a very program-led church and we just had to stop and, and start doing different things. And I loved the whole way of connecting with folks online and, and uh, all that lockdown brought in that sense. And it was actually with quite a heavy heart when we came out of lockdown that we started picking up the church program. So all these sorts of threads uh, in, a, in a way kind of came together that Mara and I were saying, I think we... I think we want to look at something else. We just didn't quite know what that something else mm. was. And I think for me, um, alongside that, I was studying in a theological college and learning new things I'd never heard about or explored. For example, looking at the end of Christendom, looking at um, you know how how things are changing, what what God's doing. This is a sort of epoch changing time. And I just felt so excited by that, not at all threatened. And it, I guess it fitted my giftings um, much more to be thinking about where is God at work and joining in. Uh, it was a revolutionary thought for me, the whole, um, you know, Missio Day and getting involved with what, what God's up to and, and not being confined to necessarily uh, the structures that we've been used to. And we, we flourished in them. Um, but it wasn't my, I really sense um, a Sunday program and leading that kind of ministering in that kind of setting was not bringing me life. But having the opportunity to explore life in its fullness beyond the confines of an, an established church was really exciting for us to explore. So you, you, are, you are intriguing us because... You're each describing yourselves as training for and being involved in what we would call regular church work, regular ministry, leadership, yeah. Sunday morning. You're describing all of those things, and yet in the midst of it, you're talking about, mm, not sure that's where we want to be. There's people around the edges exploring. So tell us about the exploring. What What is it that began to happen, and where did it lead, or where has it led? So one of one of the key components of the story was the Crucible course, um, which is a, a course that that runs here in the UK, sort of looking at uh, mission on the margins. And we we did this online in lockdown and found ourselves, uh, in a sense, in a safe space where as church leaders, we could ask the questions that we really couldn't ask, which was largely, what is the point of all this? You know, oh my this, God. The, the, yeah. this program that, that fully invested in, you know, fully invested in in running, um, but started to be able to say, I'm just not, you know, we, I felt like in a sense, we were just 
looking after or, or entertaining those, you know, the, the established church, as it were. And um, we we were just were wondering what impact that was having and and where we were. It, it was really, it, Crucible just gave us the permission to ask those questions and, and in a safe place to explore that. And also, I think it was the growing awareness that um, life was going on literally outside of the church doors, that our very full, very busy, well-organized program wasn't having any impact or any connection with at all. And that's what really started to um that was like the the salt, you know, that started to really irritate and and uh, and make us think, you know, there's there's got to be a different way. Before you move a little further than that, mm. what what did you mean by this program being a safe space? You 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 kind of put that out there, but what did that mean for you, the two of you as pastors and churches? Yeah, I think for us, um, the Crucible course it's run in the UK by Urban Expression. <laughs> Um, and it it seems to attract, or it did in that it, that sort of moment of people in lockdown engaging online together. It attracted people that were experiencing similar questions from their contexts, um, and we felt that we were joining with people that uh, were like minded and were finding the words to articulate it better than we could. So we were floundering a little bit with some of these feelings, um, and certainly. Um, it, it was sort of really complimenting for me the, what I was learning at, at college as well. And it was just giving us a chance together to explore with other people that there was another way to perhaps look at what was going on in our culture at this time. Uh, and it sort of, yeah, we we um, found it really sort of life-giving, those those sessions we looked forward to. But the safe space, uh, that's interesting because I think that I was very aware that we couldn't ask, whether whether this was internalized or not, but we couldn't ask these sorts of questions in the, you know, I couldn't ask these questions with my leaders um, or in the context of a church service. We had to have certainty on, you know, this is the way to do things and, and this is why we're doing it. And uh, it, it was it was really liberating to be able to say, do you, not, not exactly is this a waste of time, but are we going in the wrong direction here? You know, this this just doesn't seem to be fitting anymore without someone you know shouting you know you know disciplinary or, or get out or, or that sort of thing so that's the safe space it was okay. really liberating yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can hear that's a really um creative place to be and and you've both um alluded to some sort of metaphors about you know not life-giving or cold and you know given a sense of of some things that sensing that they're they're opening up new possibilities and other senses in your hearts that's saying no this doesn't feel right. So you're, you're clearly gone, you've been on a journey of discernment um, that's led you to this place. One of the things I'm interested in is um, the resistance that you might have encountered along the way or people's scepticism yes. about what you've been doing. I'm just conscious that among our listeners, we have all denominations, people listening, and uh, it might be helpful if you could kind of give us a practical example of, you know, the kinds of, patterns or structures that you felt were not giving you life or that you sensed you alluded Graham to programs that were very efficient but weren't having any impact 
and and then give us a sense of one or two examples of how you did things differently that that did bring forth life. I, I think we helpful for our listeners to kind of ground this in in a couple of real stories. If you could help us with that, sure, yeah. Uh, so so I think I mean I would I would. Um, I guess I was the the team leader at our last church, and so was very involved in sort of like the annual planning, the the preaching calendar, and everything. And that sense that I mean, where are we now? August, so uh, I should be thinking about harvest, but we'd also be having our Christmas planning meeting now, and and that sort of thing. And you know, harvest we'd be aiming for. You know, <laughs> yeah, where where we lived was not a agricultural rural community but we would hope that the harvest festival would bring in the crowds of people and once they're in the building you know we we'd we'd hope that they'd join the church in some way and um there was a sense of strong tradition with that 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 these things had to be and you know you you if we missed it that you know won't be tied now i think that um being able to now we're completely outside of that. Um, and, and I might be jumping ahead a little now, but if I use this weekend as a really good example, the the World Cup final, um, I was aware of many of my colleagues having the debate about should we have a service or not and should it finish on time and arguments to and, and for that. Um, but to have the absolute freedom to say, you know what, um, we're going to go to the local pub and watch the match in the pub where more people are going to be, where the community are, um, and just be freed from that whole sense of we've got to stick to this program has has been very liberating. And I think that, um, I don't know if you can think of other examples, Murray, you were involved with some of the planning yeah. and stuff. Of course, I think um, I think there was a feeling of a, a bit of a straight jacket and um sort of feeling that you in, in the ministry that we were part of it was um you were you are uh, maybe i'm saying this too strongly so forgive me listeners but you're you're a commodity you're there to provide a service and you're the minister and the team and this is this is what we expect so you've got that so lots of expectations and it is quite difficult to continually try and bring in change it's tiring um when there's an expectation of the ship is going in this direction so we were feeling quite weary of that and i guess for me um one of the the ways in which i encountered this uh, sense of not fitting in or having, you know, the expectation match was different was um, I was coming to the end of my time at college and I wasn't called to lead a church. And currently in the Baptist um, movement here in the UK, it's not straightforward to find a role that isn't based in a church. And so we, we chose to go a different route to what the norm is to, to look at a vacancy and explore with the church and of course all the churches in the UK would be saying we'd like a missional leader but I don't know if that's what they really mean I'm, I'm a little bit cynical about that um, so we we took a different way uh, way forward to explore what would the future be and that felt very much um, 
yes, sort of breaking the mold in a sense, just not following the 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 plan that's supposed to be as you finish college, that you you're on the vacancy list and you find a good match with your church. And we've been in several churches, as Graham said, through the last 25 years. So we know we know what's involved in finding a church and a good match. And we were just eager in this season of our life and discipleship. The Holy Spirit was saying something different to us and we didn't want to quash that. We wanted to explore it. And we've had the privilege of doing that. Well, tell us the story. Tell us how you began exploring and where it's been leading you. Yes. Yeah, so I think, I mean, what we did um, in the Baptist setup, we have regional um, ministers, um, team leaders that we can go to. So we we had conversations with several around the UK. We're in, in the stage of life where our children are leaving home and we wanted to not, not be put a geographical parameter on where we'd go next. And we had a very significant conversation with uh, a regional leader who just seemed to get what we were expressing, our our hearts. And um, not only that, listened and encouraged us, but came back and said, oh, I've got a a proposition for you to to pray about. And uh, we were really uh, excited when we were able to sort of come up undercover to this place that she said. And we spent a, a, two nights, three days walking the streets, didn't we, Graham? Thinking, praying, wondering, dreaming whether this could be um, where we could join in what God was doing. And uh, it was quite incredible um, how the doors opened for us to come to this coastal town, uh, Hartlepool in the northeast. Um, we, we, yeah, we, 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 we've been here now eight months and um, this time last year it wasn't confirmed that we were on the move at all so it's been a wonderful pace for us and yeah we're really thankful for the the team of people it feels that helped open the door for us to come here it's been a really exciting journey I'd really like to um, name check Hayley Young as the uh, the regional minister that um, not only heard our story, but just really heard our story and connected with us and really took that on board. And I think without Haley's wisdom and guidance, we'd never have made this move. Mm. But uh, it, for the first time, we felt like someone really heard us and, and understood us. And she had this amazing plan of saying, there are churches in Hartlepool. Um, let's not send a minister in to lead a church. Let's just send a minister in to be in the community. And uh, and that's that was thrilling and scary but we thought wow this is someone with vision that is that's that's talking the same language as us and what does being in the community look like what does that look like for you oh my goodness it 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 looks different every single day um so one of the ways that uh, i'm trying to connect with the community is i'm a trained barber and a bike mechanic and these are two uh things i learnt uh, during lockdown and during a sabbatical and so i offer free haircuts to men in the community and uh, these are often men that are perhaps uh, out of work or or struggling financially. Um, I've even done haircuts for the homeless in the supermarket car park. Uh, but what I found in that is uh, through this act of cutting hair, I'm suddenly having 
deeper conversations and more significant conversations with men. Uh, and I've run a lot of men's programs in the past. I've done the breakfasts and the, the men's weekends and, uh, you know, the dads and lads and who let the dads out and, and all these great programs. But I suddenly found it, it might be because I'm holding a pair of scissors <laughs> over someone's head, but all of a sudden, the you know, the openness and uh, being able to explore um, people's spiritual journeys, their aspirations, uh, even to pray with people has been phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's one of the ways that, that I'm in the community, just uh, offering these haircuts. Sometimes it's very busy. Sometimes it's very, very quiet. Uh, but that's one of the main ways I've been connecting mm -hmm. with folks. And when you decided to train as a barber and a bike mechanic, did you know that this is what it would end up being used for? Did you have a sense Absolutely not, Jenny. No. Um, so the barber thing came through lockdown. Just uh, we, we, me and my son were cutting each other's hair and making an awful job of it. And I thought I'd really like to learn how to do this properly. And as it happened, a college at the end of our roads uh, was doing an evening course in barbering, which I went along to. Absolutely brilliant. I was trained by a 27-year-old lad uh, who was just brilliant, loved being trained by him. And it was even in that training time that I started realizing we would have people coming into college. And I just started, I suddenly realized, my goodness, I'm having really in-depth conversations with these people. Um, and uh, one conversation particularly where I just, uh, it came up, I was a minister and this guy, he, he wasn't opposed to me being a minister. He, he just had no concept of church of any type. And I thought my whole life's adult life has been dedicated to this thing. This guy's got no concept of, and all the invites in the world would not get this chap along. How many people does he represent? Uh, and it, it was like, I, I felt like I'd, you know, crossed through a valley into a new country. I was suddenly realizing there was a, a different way. And likewise with the bike mechanics, I've, I've loved, I love cycling and uh, love learning about bikes. And uh, uh, in, in fiddling around with people's bikes, suddenly you have these conversations that um, previously I were just... Uh, well, very, very rare. So, so no, I didn't do I didn't do the courses with a, a mission mandate at all. I did them because I like it, it's thing. It's a hobby, but through that, the, these tremendous opportunities have arisen. Isn't it amazing how God prepares us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Mari? What what is life like for you? Yeah, so it's really it's a voyage of discovery at the moment, and I think. Um, Graham, you know, has these amazing skills that were really good preparation, whereas I feel for me as a newly accredited minister, I'm not quite uh, on the, I am on the same journey, but I'm on a different stage. And I think what, what's been so good for both of us these last months is we've had the freedom um, to have a, a stage of reflection and missional listening. And so often you'll see us hanging out in the community hub or one of them in the in Hartlepool and we're watching we're listening we're we're praying we're, we're discerning and dwelling dwelling and discerning and we we have really been trying to listen to what what is the community um thinking feeling doing and this is a, a, a town which for the last 60 years has found very many creative ways to look after each other. Deep, 
deindustrialization up here in the northeast very much felt forgotten um but yet there's a vibrancy here of people finding really interesting ways to look out for each other one example would be for, this is the second year of Hartlepool Heroes where 11 people have been sort of congratulated and won awards for what they've done in the community so we've really wanted to join in with what what is going on to help the flourishing of this town to you know seek the shalom the prosperity of the city and so one way in which we we really enjoyed um was the build up to the tall ships race coming here in July and we were part of the 300 strong volunteer team and um, very much enjoying volunteering in the civic space getting to know council workers making really good connections and networks and that's where i'm really feel i'm coming alive with that sort of chaplaincy role of being alongside and listening and being a chaplain to people that don't even know that they want to offload or or that there there is something going on with them in in their spirit so that's i find really exciting to be able to to be part of that and um one of the offshoots of this tall ships volunteering was um you know the volunteer coordinator for the council would like to meet with us for talking and exploring about well-being and and perhaps a chaplaincy offering so it's watched this space for that um and linking in with Graham's bike mechanics um we've really got stuck in with a, a a national charity here called um Sustrans they are custodians for the national cycle network and they're very much about um helping uh communities look at active transport so walking and cycling and we're really keen to to sort of champion this kind of work because it's about care creation care is about looking after god's world leading healthy lives and less consumerist lives um and so it sort of we've found that this charity is so much got values that we can really align to they're all about giving a voice to people that aren't heard inclusion you name it and so uh, graham's a, a volunteer might bike mechanic for them and I'm on their stakeholder group and we we sort of try and turn up and encourage them with all that they're doing and these are ways in which we can be community pastors so far I heard you use the phrase missional listening yes and I know that means something quite specific that some people some church leaders have been trained in this right and from what I understand it's basically do nothing and yes. listen <laughs> and it's and so hard don't start things but it's hard isn't it when you've been trained really to be proactive can oh. you tell us a bit about because you've described so many things there in it, it really kind of quite rich engagement that you have yeah. now but you've obviously started from a point of view of a, a posture of watch and wait and discern how does that look for you at the beginning when you were there so i think um it's a posture that we don't want to lose The, the 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 listening posture i think it's not just been at the beginning but it's ongoing and it's very intentional it's not passive and it's really been sort of feels graham and i talk about it so it feels quite countercultural because we are natural activists uh, the baptist movement's known for you know do 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 not b b b so we we have found for example trying a more contemplative spirituality has helped us and uh, we really 
I mean, it makes sense up in the Northeast. We love the Celtic um, resources, Celtic Christianity resources. They've really helped us slow down and to pay attention. And um, for us, we try as much as we can um, be present and prayerful in a public space. So it might be down at the seafront or it might be in the middle of the town, but we often take our time of missional listening and devotion into a public space. Would you agree, Graham? Yeah, and I, th- I think that it, it, it is really interesting because that what you say about that doing nothing um, is, is can sometimes be really guilt-inducing. Um, you know, it, it, uh, we have to really work on this um, sense of not always having something to show for the day, you know. Um, and we have said to the Northern Baptist Association and other people, we really want our conversations to be genuine. So we don't want to always be looking for the story to tell or, you know, we, we want it to be genuine That when we're meeting with people. Uh, but what we found is we ask ourselves the question, we ask each other, where are we seeing God working in Hartlepool? And it's really, it's been really interesting to be asking that question outside of the uh, the structure of the church, as it were. Uh, and so, where where are we seeing, um, you know, kingdom values being demonstrated? Probably by people that may not know that what they're demonstrating the kingdom values. And so, where we see uh, people really investing time with those looking for work or uh, really giving of themselves generously to places. Um, uh, going above and beyond um, where we're seeing sort of restoration taking place. And and we come away saying we've seen God at work in, in amazing ways. Um, we may not have even heard God addressed in these places, but we it, it's hard to explain it because you, you, you could say we well, see God everywhere. Uh, and in a sense, yes, of course we do. But it, it's looking in a new way, I think. And I guess the metric I always used to use was, um, uh, you know, I might see God at work if I hear a, an evangelistic message or or if people end up in my service in, in some form or another. But when we're saying, well, actually, we're not looking for that. We're just saying, you know, where are the hungry being fed? Where are the, you know, the 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 people in need being looked after? Where are we seeing restoration? Where are we seeing the unnoticed being noticed and being valued? Uh, and you start, what, how I've come out of this mission list, missional listening uh, sort of um, journey is, my goodness, God is much more bigger than I realized in all my years as a minister. Uh, and that is um, beautiful and also really worrying as well. But but we're, we're you know, it, we come away saying, oh, we've seen God at work there. I don't think we could ever tell this story in a church, but we're seeing God at work here, which is quite incredible. So there's, um, I want to invite you to reflect a little bit on, uh, on what you're doing, because in some ways, uh, you are, you're describing a very different perspective from the ways in which many congregations shake themselves. So, for example, uh, without being inappropriate, the in the church uh, that I go to with my wife, uh, every Sunday morning somebody gets up and before they pray or speak or everything, they, they tell a story about why they love this church. 
And if you listen to it long enough, implicit underneath that is almost like you should love, you could love this church too, and you could come and be a part of it. Uh, it's it's that internalization of everything. You, you're you, you're saying something incredibly different. That that it's and Mara, you you've said this a lot. It's like listening to what God is doing and joining with what God is doing. Listening to what God is doing and joining with what God is doing and discovering God there. Um, and it's a very different role. So you don't have a platform from which to preach every week. You're not gathering a staff together to say, how do we plan for the fall? Uh, all those sorts of things. Um, what am I doing here? Uh, comment on how what you are now involved in is so very different than the expectations and even like the language world. You don't hear, I don't hear in my church world on Sunday mornings and that, the invitation to see what God is doing out ahead of us. So can you comment on those things or am I being too vague here in what I'm describing? Uh, I think I think it's been a shift for us, but we found it very liberating because all of a sudden you you have great I have I have great hope because I see God at work and I'm looking forward to particularly with some of the relationships we're developing deepening that understanding or sharing that understanding bringing a hopeful perspective that God is making all things new mm. and this is part of his story and I'm a real champion as well for looking at the good, what what I see in someone or what I see in the place where we are living in a community or amongst people that ha- have tough lives. Life is hard. And so when we are able to share the success of something they're doing or the or um, a change that is positive, it's really good to call out those things. And I just find it so much more uh, sort of horizon spreading, more interesting than the sort of parochial, um, smaller view of, of God and, and his people. I mean, and we have had the privilege of sharing some of what we're about with, um, you know, fellow fellow Christians in the church setting as well. And I think that we bring, um, I hope we bring something of a bit of a prophetic voice into that, mm. into that space because it is hopeful. And it, and it does, I hope it does sort of sow a seed of we can look at our faith differently, we can look at our God differently, we can look at our, our church family, community differently. If we, if we uh, begin to, to explore this, this other way of, of yeah, seeing, seeing God at work and joining in, I can't, I can't find other ways to say it because he, he's on the move. <laughs> you are describing another way of being God's people. Yes. I, I, I think we, we, we were reflecting on this uh, recently because um, Mari mentions the, the tall ships race. That was, it's really hard to describe 
how big it was in town. It, it was just brilliant. Um, crowds of people, these beautiful ships sailing into the harbour, parts of the the docks that previously had shut off opened up. And just this sort of, it was almost like a, a carnival atmosphere over the weekend. And um, one guy over the weekend just said to me, the town needs this. And, and it, it felt like this is, you know, this was a gift to the town. And we were walking around there and, and I, I guess the... I guess this this really struck us. We were there as volunteers, and there were the the, the sort of local churches together did have a stall, and they were very happy with what they were doing. They were giving out Bibles and 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 uh, artwork and and things like that, and they had a very good weekend. But it struck us that mission for us that weekend was literally just about being there and being. This this may sound so wrong, but not being ready to jump in with a, a testimony or a gospel message, but just being there prayerfully. And I, I came away with this idea that mission would be so much easier if we didn't carry this huge weight of, um, you know, well I, well, I must explain to someone atonement or I must explain that you know, they're a sinner and Jesus died for them. But I can just demonstrate something God's love to them, whether it's being helpful in in giving a direction or giving half an hour of my time to listen to someone and praying gently for them afterwards. And I, I'm well aware that the, the question from that could be, well, couldn't anyone do that? Yeah, <laughs> anyone could. That's the thing. And, and maybe when we hear these great commissions, go and make disciples, etc. Maybe it's a lot easier than we've been telling ourselves because it's just about being with people and, and spending time with them. Uh, that That's kind of, I feel I'm pulling on a thread of something I haven't developed, but but it's sort of, it's, it's really, really struck me during that weekend particularly. Can I just go back to um, something you said, Mari, earlier about you were studying the end of Christendom. You were beginning to to grasp this sense of an epoch changing time. And you also talked about the ship going in a certain direction. Yes. And I, I imagine by that you you kind of referring to decline, that what people perceive as as church decline. But what I hear you saying, um, and what I guess we're listening for, is um signs of of God remaking the church. Mm. Um, yes. That God has not gone away god is not in decline the mm. church is going through a profound change in mm. lots of different ways and your description of some of the in- interactions that you've both have um descriptions of the kingdom it's a very beautiful thing to hear i, w- I would just love to hear you both reflect a bit about our our idea of leaving egypt you know this sense of you you referred to it Mario earlier of you know what's going on in the world you know there are some very uh, powerful forces at work yes. that are making people's lives very difficult. And you re- you referred to, and, and you, Graham, were talking about, you know, very movingly cutting the guy's hair. You know, you'd be touching that man's head. You'd be talking to him in a very intimate way. That brings you into very close proximity with a human being who's really having a very hard time. So you're very, very close. You're not outsourcing it to a program. You're not outsourcing it to a charity. You're actually personally putting us off in that space um so i'm just trying to i'm exploring here this uh this sense of where the church is being called yeah. uh, and i don't hear you saying that 
because you you referred to speaking prophetically into the church, so you obviously still go to church because some of them, our listeners might be thinking, oh, they've given up altogether. But you you haven't. You're, there's a sense of a, a sort of tension between you engaging outside the walls of the church, but also speaking prophetically into it, and this perhaps the sense of how how the renewal might uh, take place. We can't tell yet, really, can we? No, uh, there's something happening. But I, I'd love to hear you. You reflect yeah. a little on the idea of, of what's happening in the world, and as as Christians, how do we live in yes. this time of unraveling while the great Pharaoh, the Pharaohic powers, are uh, are dominating uh, people's mm. lives? I, I think it's really um, wonderful that you're hearing a story of Hartlepool, because um, I, I we love living back by the sea. And um, I say to Graham, I have said to him, you know, look, it feels like the tide's gone out uh, as the church really in this part of, of England, the established church is, is um, absolutely just, one, one person said to us, one winter, one bad winter away from closing in many places, the community closing, the buildings are pretty much closed, but even the people you know, are elderly and often and um, things are, feels like shrinking. The tide is going out. However, we know that the tide will come in. And when the tide comes in, it's different to the last time it went out. Every time it's a different tide. And we, we are, I guess, We've got the privilege of um, being hosted and held by a congregation here, a Baptist church, um, with no expectation that we need to be there every Sunday. And um, I think the folk there are getting used to that. I don't think it's been easy necessarily. You know, where are these community ministers? They're not here every Sunday, but they're getting used to, to that because we do need the space and the freedom to be elsewhere on a Sunday. And I guess one of the things, um, we're, we're grateful for that because we have found it, um, it is, is a bit lonely arriving in a new town with, with no, uh, no inbuilt community to sort of, to get to know. So, so we are uh, still finding ourselves, uh, finding our feet and establishing ourselves. And I think one of the things, the freedom that in this sort of concept of us being in Hartlepool, but there are other churches in Hartlepool. There's 36 places of Christian worship. So we're not here to plant another place to worship. Um, and so again, we've had freedom in that. But what will be interesting, and we don't know, do we, what will emerge as we, we, as we share our faith and share things of God with, with people um, that wouldn't relate to, to things that go on in a church service. Um, yes, so so we don't know what that will look like. However, that doesn't trouble me at the moment, personally. Um, and I do think that there's opportunities to share hope and faith and love in a way that us helps people ask more questions or explore for themselves. Um, but what you've shared, Jenny, of what Graham does with the haircutting is quite profound. And I I, I have the, the, the joy of being his sidekick 
on occasion because some of the people that we go, that Graham cuts the hair off, are in situations where it's helpful for, for there to be a female there. And that's been great for me, hasn't it, Graham, to be alongside and see and join in some of the conversations that are going on in these situations. Yeah, very much so. I, I think uh, I, th- I think what the, the concern I would voice over what we see in the local churches, and, and I, I, I want to be respectful to the local churches because they're they're very faithful people and uh, and very committed, and you know they love Jesus, and this is how they they're serving Him, but they're. they're there just there seems to be a overall idea that there's an awareness that that um, you know the buildings are empty that that, that congregations down or whatever. So let's go back to a time that worked before. Let's let let's try and revive. You know, it may not even be twenty years. It might be thirty years ago. The, those glory days when when you know we had the bands and we had this and that. And if we can just go back to that, so the poor ministers of the churches, well, they just have to work even harder. You know, do do more visits, uh, organize more more special services, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the sense we get from um, being in the community is. Um, if people want to go to big gatherings, they will, but they have to be quite special big gatherings. Um, but relationship and genuine relationship is really, really important. So I think that I, I hope that what we what we're trying to communicate is I think church gathering is getting smaller and is going to look more like family groups meeting. Um, you know. Round meals and things like that, rather than the 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 Sunday service. Perhaps that's really scary for ministers. That's really scary for ministers because it's our livelihood. It's about identity. Yeah, so much is tied up in it, and uh, and and this is the the tightrope we walk every day. Because what is our identity as these community pastors? Um, you know, because sometimes you just think, what what on earth are we doing here? But I, it's. That's the sense of, of how things are moving uh, in, in these parts. And I think about the leaving Egypt um, because we've got, you know, the church going through its changes, but also here in Hartlepool, we've got, I would say, and I and I say to Graham, am I being too optimistic or half too, you know, glass too full on this? But I, I do see signs of civic renewal, which is more about the people rather than just commodifying, you know, production. So, you know, in the, in the 80s, you know, there's, there's been the closing of the shipyards, there's been the closing of the mines in, in Durham. You know, there, there's been a lot over decades or now generations, you know, a lot of um, decline. And so with that, all the problems associated with with you know, post-industrialization. And so it's, however, there is hope for the future in that Hartlepool is working hard to find new things for the future. And some people will be very cynical about this. Um, You know, for example, the sort of leveling up funding, which which is coming to Hartlepool and it's being spent on um, post-production film 
Um, so there's a film studio and looking at digital skills, trying to find a future for, for the young people here would be one example. Some massive regeneration of the town centre with this beautiful Wesleyan chapel that is um, outstanding and it's being rescued and being made into a, a hotel, a boutique mm, hotel. Mm. <laughs> Who knew? But there, there are signs that... Some of it is on a human scale, I feel, rather than a huge scale. Um, and I, and to see the, the the multiple ways in which the community is is in in a, you know a myriad of ways looking after each other. If you take food poverty for one instance, there's about and I should know off the tip of my tongue, but it looks about 13 different initiatives of food poverty all now coming. Um, not food poverty, but you know, trying to <laughs> to help people not experience food poverty, but bringing that under an umbrella and trying to work together. So that there's real hopeful signs, I think, where there is a future of leaving Egypt, where these 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 powers can be um, slowly dismantled. Um, but yeah, I don't say that that's an, an overnight thing, but and let's see what happens the next round of elections, etc. I think the political turmoil that the country's in is it, difficult um, to know quite how things will go. But it's interesting to come to a town which is is looking to reinvent its its future in a positive way. And again, I this is where I might be too new and too. Uh, naive, but I think folk are trying. <laughs> so I want to encourage people that are looking positively for the future. You're hinting at some interesting things. Um, and I, I want to ask you both, you've been there eight months, I think it's eight months. Um, so you, in the midst of what you're doing, like seeing what God is doing, sitting with, listening, um, cutting hair, volunteering, um, you're at the front end of a great exploration. But even in these eight months, um, each of you, is there a person that comes to your mind that carries for you that story of joining God and of hope? Is there, I mean, there's probably many, but and without names or anything else like that, but does 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 one person come to your mind that encapsulates some of the hope that you've been seeing and engaging with uh, as God's people sitting in the community? Does, is there a, each of you have a story that you, you're both nodding? So go for it. Yeah. So there's a person that I've got to know um, through one of our volunteering. Um, initiatives and and this is um we 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 both trained independent visitors to look after a young um person in care and uh, we're finding this very very insightful and life-giving that's a whole other story but there's one person that I'm getting to know through that work where I really love um what she's all about and really enjoying sharing more of my story with her and I, I feel developing a deeper friendship mm -hmm. so that'd be one person that I'm very keen to 
to to uh, invest in. And I guess one of the things I love um, about the work that we're doing here is that we're able to sort of influence and champion and be alongside younger generations. And Graham and I are very much thinking about legacy of this season of life of we're in and wanting to sort of, yeah, be be used by God to build up and help the emerging generations, which I think have got it harder than we ever had it. So, yeah, that would be my example. I think I'd like to, the, the, the person that really comes to mind with me, um, uh, let, let's call him Christopher, um, just for the sake of this. And he's a young lad uh, whose mother got in touch with me about a haircut. And uh, the, 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 the slightly comical but sad story is that Chris had been to a, a barber in town over a year ago and uh, the barber literally shaved his head and uh, left him with a, a haircut he was very unhappy with. And so for a year, um, this this little lad, um, just pre-teens, had kept his hood up, had not really sort of uh, wanted to go out much and was absolutely terrified of barbers. And his mum persuaded uh, persuaded him to have a haircut and I went around to the house and um, the first visit really got very little conversation with, with him and uh, was was only able to do a very short trim uh, but he invited me back and so the second time Mari came with me because uh, uh, it was better that way and was talking to the mother and it was it was hard work uh, and again hard work in doing Christopher's hair but he invited us back. And the third time we went round, um, Mari's op- well, uh, greeted with open arms by the mum, uh, welcomed in, um, offered a seat, you know, really welcomed into the home. The dad is there that time and uh, talking to us as, as, as though we're long lost friends. The mum describes us as friends and little Christopher is, is chatting away as we cut his hair as well. Now, uh, you know, we we were saying, well, in that we, we've seen something of of restoration in this this person, uh, something of uh, you know God's love displayed in him, and uh, we were there. Um, this lovely moment when uh, Mum gets a call from the school, and straight away she's she's saying to Christopher, "What have you done wrong? Why are the school phoning?" And the school phoned to say he's had a really good day today, and. The change in the house was palpable. You know, you you could just sense it. And we came out of that saying, God is at work in this family. Um, I don't know how to ground that. I don't know how to, you know, but we, you know, but we were able to share in their joy of that moment and also in their response to us as well. Um, that they called us friends was was quite significant, and and it's a tiny example of I think where in a, in a, in a in a short while in a community that are let's name it are very suspicious of uh, middle class Southerners coming and telling them how to do it, uh, and we really try not to not to carry that bag, but we're aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, in a community like that, to see these little breakthroughs is is, is really quite something. And, and I hope we can keep telling Christopher's story as we carry on in Hartlepool. That's really, really wonderful to hear that. I'm, I'm just ref- reflecting on so many things you're saying here. I I just wanted to sort of situate this in in what's actually going on in the world in terms of 
the economy and instability and so on, which which you alluded to, Mari. And um, you know, more broadly, we could talk about you know the effects of globalization on a place like Hartlepool. You know, it just lost its manufacturing base. It's had a devastating effect on the um, degradation of the local uh, economy, the local infrastructure, and so on. And, and the effects on people are are really profound. And um, you know, often we talk about the effects of the economy, but also the kind of economy that we've had that we're still still living with also has a philosophy that affects human beings and the way they relate. And it, it tends to atomize people. It's a kind of individualistic philosophy. And what I hear you saying is kind of rebuilding relationship between people. And it really reminded me of, you're not using the same language, but it's the same thing. When Pope Francis talks about civic friendship, he talks about fraternity, um, he talks about friendship as a resistance to the powers of the pharaoh powers of Egypt, of Egypt, for example, and says we've got to start smelling like sheep. You know, we've got to get among people. The church is not a private club, and I hear this is this is what you're doing. And there's another phrase that he uses, which is the architecture of peace. This this is how it's done. It seems to me in very small, modest, unglamorous, patient ways loving people, being alongside people, building relationship, building trust, being invited into someone's home like that and to be a part of that beautiful moment is exactly, it seems to me, what God's people are being called to do, to resist the powers of the modern Egypt. So you might not be consciously thinking like that, but that's how I can see what's happening to you in your ministry. And I, I, was, I can hear what you've you know you said about how the church is, you know, it's changing, and there are different feelings around that. And there'll be some people listening to this who think, oh, but you know, we really love the liturgy. We like we want to hold on to. Well, I think we all do, but I think you're saying that there's a new energy that could complement that. It's we're not kind of trying to leave everything behind, but um, there's a, a practice here which is a relational practice about being God's people that somehow the church has lost uh, along the along the decades, which, which you seem to be sensing and stepping into. Does, does that, am I playing that back right to you? Is that how you feel about it? Mm, I think you articulated beautifully. We, we're still struggling with language to describe this, um, but I hope you can sense and, and hear that it's so life-giving. Mm. This feels like yeah. being alive, <laughs> being used and being with God. And yeah, we, we, yeah, we come out with some of these encounters absolutely buzzing. I, Mar, Mari came out of an encounter yesterday with a shoe repairer yes. and uh, just just uh, um, yes. spending time with the shoe repairer in the in mm. the shopping center, and she came out and and um, I am very biased, but you know the glow on her face was just beautiful, you know, from this this conversation. But I think, I mean, I, it, uh, something you said, Jenny, really resonated with me. It does feel like a great sin has been done against the people of Hartlepool. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it does, you know, people, I was, I was actually chatting to a guy today that was talking about the the miners' strikes and uh, the closure of pits and everything. And, you know, this is, this, for, for this guy, this was an, an evil that was done to mm. them. 
and and that evil is has um deep deep roots that that have really got into the fabric of society here and i and i think with that comes this this lack of trust um this lack of aspiration um and and it is tragic to see you know uh uh, beautiful coastline, um, you know, sort of really not being um, really realised to see people in the town. You know, if you walk around Hartlepool, you see the the faded glory of old buildings now in disarray and totally run down. Uh, and, you know, people have used the word, a great evil has been done to us. Uh, and, and I think that's, you know, we shy away from that sometimes, but I think that's what we're seeing as well. And uh, But it's, it's interesting in the way of countering that evil is in the small, is in the, the 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 small thing rather than the big gestures. And maybe in churches we've been used to the big slogans and the big gestures. And it and what God's saying to us is actually just, you know, one person at a time almost. You know, but but it is interesting. That that's an interesting point you make there. It just reminded me of what one of you said earlier about activism that you felt that God was saying, stop being activist and slow down. You talked about the contemplative prayer practices that had helped you slow down. Why did you feel that you were being drawn away from activism? Yeah, I I, I think this is something that I reflected quite a lot on at college. Um, Just at our stream, or my, my personality and my stream of faith has been very active, you know, you know, faith without deeds is nothing, or, you know, this is so ingrained, or the Protestant work ethic, I don't know. But we have been given the privilege of being able to dwell in a place. And to dwell, you have to stop. You can't just rush in and rush out. And one of the ways in which we pray is, Lord, help us be interrupted. Help us recognize those interruptions and go with them. So yesterday's shoe repair example was brilliant because I had the time, Jenny. He, This guy just spoke my ear off. And I went back to collect my shoes that had been repaired. Oh, he hadn't done them. So we had another conversation. And I had the time. I, I was running late for the next late, you know, I'm, I'm saying in inverted commas, it doesn't matter. But we've got this privilege, I see it as a privilege, of being able to live at a different pace and to be in tune enough to say, yeah, this is this is the Lord, you know, just stop, just go with this, listen to this guy, listen. And he was thankful at the end. And we exchanged uh, names and um, I, I thought, come on, Mari, you know, tell him who you are. I said, and I'm a community pastor here in Hartlepool. Oh, and we had a laugh about it. But I thought I wanted to bring something in <laughs> to start because I'll be able to go, I'm going to go back tomorrow. There'll be a reason I need to go and see the shoe repairer and let's see what conversation um, unfolds that this guy happens to be covering someone's annual leave, but he's hopeful to get a job in Hartlepool. So who knows? Watch this space, another episode of Leaving Egypt. <laughs> so there's a picture that um, is forming in, 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 within me as I listen to you both. And thank you so much. Um, and it's, uh, Graham, it's the phrase that you used where someone in Hartlepool, a worker, is saying, you know, what was done to us was a sin. And 
um, without politicizing, the picture I have is that, you know, in the 80s and on, globalization by the elites was seen as the great answer to prosperity. Whereas for many ordinary people on the ground in places like Hartlepool and other places, it was a great sin uh, against their humanity and their presence. And, um, and we're living out the implications of all of that. But, but here's the picture, is that in the midst of that great sin, our God has not stopped being present. And God is present in that shoe repairer and that home where you went to cut hair. And God is, God is, is bubbling and percolating and creating something. And you talked about Hartlepool rediscovering hope. All of that, to use your language, is our signs of God ahead of us of God up to things. So that's one side of the picture. The other side of the picture, which may be wrong and inappropriate as I listened, is churches trying to recover what they've lost. And, 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 and in some senses, you, you're in the midst of both of those things. I, I don't hear you saying, we've given up on church at all, uh, but you're also saying, hey, over here, Look where God's at work <laughs> with this cobbler and all that kind of stuff. So the 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 um, that that's the picture I I have as I've listened to this, and it's it's been a real blessing to use the church word. Yeah, it's been a real you. blessing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been really wonderful. I I think um, what you've shown us is that God is present in relationships, and. It's he's at work anyway, whether we we like it or not, whether we're paying attention or not. But because you've allowed yourself the time to listen, you're tuning in to what's going on. And there's this real danger, isn't it, that we all get so busy and we're so so plugged into this uh, kind of modernity way of living that um, means we're tuned out. And then the idea of you know you go to church to try and hear God, well. God's actually, as you said, a great deal bigger than that. So this, I, I hear you saying that you're making yourselves available, interruptible. Um, you can put pause when you when you detect something's going on to be there and listen. Is there is there um, a scripture passage or something that comes to mind just as we're talking now that maybe would describe some of this that you that matters to you that means something to you? One one of the um, uh, phrases I've been reflecting on, what one I've mentioned was, you know, seeking the prosperity of the city from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. 29. Yeah. But but also I, I love, um, as I'm discovering who I am as a minister in this season of my life, I'm learning to sing the Lord's song in a new land. And so that's, a, that's something that I've been reflecting on. Uh, I, I do some studies as a newly accredited Baptist minister. And that was one of the phrases and scriptures that I've really enjoyed thinking about because I feel I am singing a new song. Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, yeah, and, and it's a bit like, I know the analogy often, which has resonated a lot with me is, you know, joining in the dance of, mm. of, of the Trinity. Uh, and for me in this, in this season, it's, yeah, singing the Lord's song in a new land.
learning to sing the Lord's song. Another part of our story that we we didn't share was we we spent many years um, serving in Albania, and uh, the Albanian version of the Bible is 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 quite wonderful to read, and. Um, you know, the Psalms say, be still and know that I am God. Um, the Albanians read it as stop and accept that I am God. And uh, and that's a verse that um, I think, you know, is quite helpful to me. Um, you know, stop and accept that I'm God in is, is the sort of sharp words of rebuke sometimes, you know, when we're wondering what we're doing here. Um, be still and know um, is uh, when we're looking at hopeless situations and saying, I just don't know what 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 to do here or what we're doing here. Um, and whether God is, is gently telling us to be still or, or just saying, just, you know, uh, stop from the activism, stop from the programs that that was burning us out and and not achieving anything. Know that I am God, and and for me, it, that knowing I am God is something far deeper and richer than than it ever used to be. Um, it's knowing I am God. Um, I I'm at work in Hartlepool way before you came, and I'll be at work way after you've gone. And uh, whether there's 39 churches or three, you know, with God is at work here. So stop and accept that. And if I was if I was to dare to add a line, it would be and get in line with that as well. <laughs> thank you. I think that's a wonderful place to to leave our conversation. So th- thank you so much, Mari and Graham. It's been a real privilege to hear your story oh, thank you thank yeah. you thank you so much for having us and ditto thank you so very much I, I suspect that there may be another conversation because I can imagine a lot of pastors listening to this saying I hear you how do I start this so thanks so much for your story your explorations and God be with you there in Hartlepool thank you very much thank you thank you thanks for listening to Leaving Egypt We look forward to you joining us again on the next episode. In the meantime, you can find out more at togetherforthecommongood.co.uk And you can find me on alanroxborough.com And do check out Leaving Egypt on Substack too. This podcast is brought to you by Together for the Common Good and the Missional Network. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you'd normally listen to your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. So that's it from us. I'm Al Roxborough. And I'm Jenny Sinclair. Thank you so much for listening. God bless and see you soon. Mm-hmm.